Chapter Eight of Whispering Smith by Frank Spearman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight: Smoky Creek Bridge. It was not alone that a defiance makes a bad dinner sauce. There was more than this for McLeod to feed on. He was forced to confess to himself as he walked back to the wickiup that the most annoying feature of the incident was the least important, namely, that his only enemy in the country should be entrusted with commissions from the stone ranch and be carrying packages for Dixie Dunning. It was Sinclair's trick to do things for people, and to make himself so useful that they must like first his obligingness and afterward himself. Sinclair, MacLeod knew, was close in many ways to Lance Dunning. It was said to have been his influence that won Dunning's consent to sell a right-of-way across the ranch for the new crawling stone line. But MacLeod felt it useless to disguise the fact to himself that he now had a second keen interest in the crawling stone country not alone a dream of a line but a dream of a girl sitting moodily in his office with his feet on the desk a few nights after his encounter with sinclair he recalled her nod as she said good-bye it had seemed the least bit encouraging and he meditated anew on the only twenty minutes of real pleasurable excitement he had ever felt in his life the twenty minutes with dixie dunning at smoky creek her intimates, he had heard, called her Dixie, and he was vaguely envying her intimates when the night dispatcher, Rooney Lee, opened the door and disturbed his reflections. "'How's number one, Rooney?' called MacLeod, as if nothing but the thought of a train movement ever entered his head. Rooney Lee paused. In his hand he held a message. Rooney's cheeks were hollow and his sunken eyes were large. His face, which was singularly a night face, would shock a stranger but any man on the division would have given his life for rooney the simple fellow had but two living interests his train sheets and his chewing tobacco sometimes i think that every railroad man earns his salary even the president but rooney was a past worthy master in that unnumbered lodge of railroad slaves who do killing work and have left when they die only a little tobacco to show for it it was on rooney's account that macleod's order banishing cuspidors from his office had been rescinded a few evenings of agony on the dispatcher's part when in consultation with his chief the mournful wandering of his uncomplaining eyes his struggle to raise an obstinate window before he could answer a question would have moved a heart harder than macleod's the cuspidor had been restored to one corner of the large room and to this corner rodney like a man with a jaw full of birdshot always walked first when he turned back to face his chief his face had lost its haunted expression and he answered with solemn cheer on time or fourteen minutes late as the case might be this night his face showed something out of the ordinary and he faced macleod with evident uneasiness holy smoke mr macleod here's a ripper we've lost smoky creek bridge lost smoky creek bridge echoed mcleod rising in amazement burned to-night seventy-seven was flagged by the man at the pump station that's a tie-up for your life exclaimed mcleod reaching for the message how could it catch fire is it burned up 
I can't get anything on that yet. This came from Canby. I'll have a good wire in a few minutes and get it all to you. Have Phil Haley and Hyde notified, Rodney and Reed and Brill Young, and get up a train. Smoky Creek Bridge! By heavens, we are ripped up the back now. What can we do there, Rooney? He was talking to himself. There isn't a thing for it on God's earth but switchbacks and five percent grades down to the bottom of the creek and, and cribbing across it to the new line is ready. Wire Callahan and Morris Blood and get everything you can for me before we start. Ten hours later, and many hundreds of miles from the mountain division, President Bucks and a companion were riding in the peace of a June morning down the beautiful Mohawk Valley with an earlier and illustrious railroad man, William C. Brown. The three men were at breakfast in Brown's car. A message was brought in for Bucks. He read it and passed it to his companion, Whispering Smith, who sat at Brown's left hand. The message was from Callahan with the news of the burning of the Smoky Creek Bridge. Details were few because no one on the West End could suggest a plausible cause for the fire. "'What do you think of it, Gordon?' demanded Bucks bluntly. Whispern Smith seemed at all times bordering on a good-natured surprise, and in that normal condition he read Callahan's message. Everything surprised Whispering Smith, even his salary, but an important consequence was that nothing excited him. He seemed to accommodate himself to the unexpected through habitual surprise. It showed markedly in his eyes, which were bright and quite wide open, and, save for his eyes, no feature about him would fix itself in the memory. His round, pleasant face, his heavy brown moustache, the medium bill that concealed under its commonplace symmetry an unusual strength, his slightly rounding shoulders bespeaking a not-too-serious estimate of himself, every characteristic, even to his unobtrusive suit and black hat, made him distinctly an ordinary man, one to be met in the street today and past, and forgotten tomorrow. He was laughing under Buck's scrutiny when he handed the message back. Well, I don't know a thing about it, not a thing. But taking a long shot and speaking by and far, I should say it looks something like first blood for Sinclair, he suggested, and to change the subject, lifted his cup of coffee. Then it looks like you for the mountains tonight instead of for Weber and Fields, retorted Bucks, reaching for a cigar. Brown, why have you never learned to smoke? End of chapter 8